Hello, and welcome into another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. It is the February 15th edition of the podcast. We are in officially off-season mode. The NFL season has come to a conclusion. The Rams are Super Bowl champions. Christian, first off, I got to ask, did you watch the Super Bowl? Did you enjoy the Super Bowl? I feel like that shouldn't be a question, but for some reason it is. Yeah, I don't know why there was drama surrounding whether or not we as Chiefs fans should have watched the Super Bowl. I watched it because I watch every single Super Bowl. I, the Chiefs were not in it for so long that I don't have a an attachment to only watching the Chiefs play in the Super Bowl. I watched it with about five or six of my friends, and it was amazing. It was one of the best Super Bowls that I can remember, especially recently. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'll go that far to say it was an amazing Super Bowl. I think it was I think it was a good game though. I it was exciting because I think that this is how a lot of our Super Bowls are going to be now that we kind of have some I think that there's a lot of things that are causing the NFL to balance out a little bit. I think the biggest thing is that the NFL has gotten much much better about adapting their rosters to quarterbacks. It used to be that there was like three quarterbacks in the whole NFL that could win Super Bowls. You know, it was like Brady, Manning, you know, sprinkling a little Big Ben in there and Eli Manning. And that was like from 2000 to 2015 or something. Like it was just those four or five guys over and over again. And teams are better at drafting quarterbacks and developing quarterbacks and scheming their offenses around their quarterbacks that the door feels a lot more open. Going back to watching the Super Bowl or not watching the Super Bowl, there was only one Super Bowl that I did not watch. And it was because it was the 2018 Super Bowl where the Chiefs lost uh, on D Ford being offside. And I could not bring myself to watch that game because I had seen Tom Brady in the Super Bowl so many times. Yes, I was bitter, of course, about the Chiefs losing. But also on the other side, that Rams team that went they went to the Super Bowl. It should have been the Saints. We saw that that missed call completely changed that game, that defensive pass interference that wasn't called. They had Jared Goff. All they were doing is running the ball. And Todd Gurley wasn't even like Todd Gurley wasn't healthy. I'm trying to remember who they had that was running for them. They had some like old washed up running back. I just it was it was a game that on paper looked miserable and it was miserable. It was 13 three. I mean, it was. I, you know, but pretty much any other Super Bowl I, I watch because I think it's interesting. And I think that, you know, aside from the commercials and the halftime show, I think that there was a lot that you can take away from every team that wins a Super Bowl. Now, there's many ways to skin a cat, they say. There's many ways to win a Super Bowl. But I think that there are some things that can definitely be, be taken away from both teams that were in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, I 100 percent agree. And part of that is you can kind of luck into a Super Bowl. And I'm not I'm not saying that the Bengals didn't deserve to be there or the Rams didn't deserve to be there either. But they kind of both felt like they weren't the best team on each side of the conference. Right. Like I, I know Aaron Rodgers, like just has an aversion to playing in a Super Bowl. But that Green Bay team was obviously the best team in, in the NFC. And then on the other side, the Chiefs were obviously the best team and the in or the AFC and it just kind of there, there was that aspect of like I know I'm not watching the two best teams playing right now I'm just watching the two teams that happen to win and and make it there which you know you that can be said uh for, for multiple Super Bowls with this one for some reason that especially rang true did you, did you kind of have that same opinion yeah I 
I mean, I, I will almost go full that the Bengals did get lucky to get there. And I'm sorry, um, the past like two weeks, I've made a single tweet that makes Bengals fans mad. Like I made one last week that made them mad. And then I made another one that made them mad. But here, here's the thing, man. There are, People get so caught up in everything is black or white. It's either or. It cannot be both. It can both be true that the Bengals had to take advantage of an opportunity that was given to them. And they were resilient in winning the AFC championship. And it can also be true that the Chiefs absolutely shit the bed, gave that game away, and handed it to them. They needed the Chiefs to cooperate in that game for them, or else they weren't winning. I go, I go back to the 28-3 Falcons-Patriots game. That game both gets praised for Tom Brady's greatness, and we also always make fun of the Falcons, right? Like, that, that's how that goes. That, you, like, here's the thing. You don't truly luck your way to the Super Bowl, right? Like the Jags ain't making it to the Super Bowl this year, no matter if they were in the playoffs or not. They're just not. But there is a there is luck involved in it, and they had to take advantage of the opportunities that were given to them. But they had some pretty sweet opportunities handed to them. I mean, and I, I agree. On the Rams, the Rams are a little bit different. I think that the Rams, at their best, when they're when they are on especially whenever they got Odell and Von Miller going and kind of in the scheme. I think that that probably was the best team in the NFC. Um, and part of that is, is because, because of why the Packers lost the Packers lost because Aaron Rodgers clammed up because he's been a mess all off season. They're, you know, they're a great regular season team and they have been the last couple of years, but there's stuff going on there that causes the Packers to not be as strong of a team. So I, I think the Rams were the best team in the NFC this year. I think that if the Bucks were healthy, I think it would have probably been a little bit different story, but they weren't healthy. Yeah, well, it, I'll just straight up ask you, do you think the, the uh, Bengals make it back to the Super Bowl next year? Because coming from my perspective, I think that they might not even win their division. That, that, that's how yeah. the year is for me next year. I, I mean, for me, I, I completely agree. I, I said that, uh, I, I tweeted out that I think the Bengals are going nine and eight next year. They have gone from a fourth place schedule to a first place schedule. They've gone from having pick number four or five in the draft. And keep in mind, it's not just pick four or five, it's pick 33 or 34, you know, like getting those high picks all the way to the bottom of the draft. They've got Lamar Jackson will be healthier. The Bengals, even if Lamar Jackson isn't healthier, the Ravens won't be the most injured team in NFL history. I think the Browns will be better. They were a good team. Baker fell apart. Yes, I know Baker Mayfield's still a mess, but that team will be better. I still think that the Steelers, despite not having Big Ben, I think that they'll make some sort of move at quarterback, and that team can be carried by defense. I, you know, that division, every team in that division is going to get better. The AFC is a house, dude. I mean, like, even some of the crappy teams in the AFC aren't that bad. Like, you can, you know, besides maybe the Texans, you can kind of create a story on almost all teams in the AFC that can be salty in certain ways, you know, um, you know, the jets probably not right. The Texans, the jets, but I mean, the Jaguars, you know, Doug Peterson, that, you know, there's a really high, highly thought of quarterback. They have some playmakers, Travis Etienne will be back. I mean, there's, there's so many good teams in the AFC, the Bengals. And this is true of Mahomes and Allen and Lamar and all these other players. 
yes, they're going to beat up on each other, but that's part of the reason why it's so hard to say that they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl anytime soon. Because I think that the Super Bowl is going to go like it kind of went here. It's going to go Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Mahomes, Allen. Or, you know, it's just going to kind of go back and forth, back and forth, because I just think that there's a lot of really good teams and coaches that are in the AFC right now. And the NFC is just opening up so much right now. Well, and I think when you get to the top tier of teams in any conference or any division, there it becomes more of a battle of the general managers and the upper management types, right? Like right now we have the quarterback set up. We have the offensive line set up. Now this entire offseason is going to revolve around us replacing people on the defense and, and getting another weapon for Mahomes. That's that nothing. Mahomes can't do anything about that. He might be able to help recruit some guys to come in and things like that. But this entire offseason for the Bengals is going to be what the offseason was for the Chiefs a few years ago. And being able to re, retool, re, recalculate how your offensive line is going to come in here and, and change is not an easy task. And we saw it with Beach this year. Everybody praised him about how incredibly well he did for this new offensive line, right? And really, they were, they were pretty good. But how, how many of those pieces were really there before? Like, we, we kind of got a steal in the sixth round with Trey Smith. Creed Humphrey became an absolute star as soon as he walked on the field. Joe Tooney got him in free agency, and we traded for uh, Orlando Brown on the left side. And we had already previously drafted, I'm forgetting his name right now, but our, our right tackle, Niang. Now, it performed pretty good. It was by no means the best offensive line in the league. It was in the upper half, maybe even the top 10 offensive lines in the league. Do we believe that the Bengals can do that and, and the management of the Bengals can do that? Because personally, I, I do not believe that an owner who is reluctant to spend money and they, they have a pretty, you know, pretty big cap situation coming into this year. They'll, they'll do okay in the, in recruiting and bring in free agents, but there just seems like there's so much work to be done. And the general manager and the owner of the Bengals, I don't think they're there. One thing you talk about with the Bills, they had a great offseason. They got Micah Hyde and that other safety that I can't remember his name either. They got him as free agents. They brought him in. Like the, these teams are built now in the front offices. And, and I just don't think the Bengals will be able to do that. I, I just, I have a hard time believing that a historically bad badly run franchise will come into this season with a, a with a good quarterback and completely change. Well, I, I personally think that this plays really nicely into the Rams as well. The Rams did. And one thing I think that could be taken away from what the Rams did is that the Rams took an all in approach to the last couple of years. Right. And, and I think it's going to hurt them later down the road, but your question is, can a team go all in on one offseason or can they go all in on one position? Personally, I kind of love hearing the idea that the Bengals are just going to go stupid on offensive line because I think in a year or two, it's going to hurt them. I mean, I'm still not a huge. I think that Joe Tooney is a great player, but I'm still not a huge fan of the move because how much better is Joe Tooney going to be than Nick Allegrady? Like 20 percent, 30 percent. Would you notice it? I mean, if you know, I, I don't know. Now, part of the part of the Joe Tooney signing was not knowing that you were going to get Trey Smith, you know, and maybe Nick Algrady was going to play right guard until they got Trey Smith. But either way, 
is it possible? Sure. I mean, the, the Bengals have quite a bit of cap space. They're going to have, they have decent amount of draft capital. Sure. I mean, I think that they can really throw some, and that this is part of what the chiefs did too, right? They threw numbers at the situation, which I like, but here's the thing that roster needs more than that. The pass rush is pretty good with Hendrickson and they, they have DJ reader on there as well, but I mean, they clearly need some more help in the secondary. Um, there's their, uh, safety, one of their better players, and it's escaping me right now, his name, but they, he's either going to be on the franchise tag or needs a new deal. Um, you know, there, there's more need anytime you start telling yourself, we just need this position. And then we're there. That's where the problems start setting in. Yes. You know, they are set at wide receiver. I do think that, you know, they've got really good players at wide receiver and they've got a good running back and all that. But I mean, it, it happens really fast that, um, Jesse Bates is the, uh, safety, but it happens really fast that all of a sudden there's other holes on the roster. So, you know, going back to the Rams comparison, the Rams have done an excellent job of not, they trade away their high picks, but they keep a lot of lower picks and they've, they've hit on some of those, you know, there was real contributors on the field for them. There are third, fourth, fifth round picks, and they went all in on this year. And in the past couple of years with Stafford and, you know, all the players that they've traded for and acquired, but it paid off. And I think part of the reason that this paid off and it was a good year for that is because there was no truly dominant team in the NFL. There was no team that you felt like it was an inevitable. I mean, it, it felt inevitable last year that the Chiefs were getting to the Super Bowl. It was just getting there. Um, you know, so I personally, I kind of like the idea of them throwing all of the resources at the offensive line because often offensive line play is one of those things that's really hard to equate. There were a lot of people that were sitting here saying last year, oh man, can you imagine once we get Patrick Mahomes behind this offensive line? And it was his best offensive line he's ever had. And it was his worst statistical year. And that's not really that debatable. So, you know, I think a lot of people think that this is Madden. And if you just put player in with better stats, it's going to improve. Um, and, you know, I may be wrong. Joe Burrow might light the league on fire next year. I, it's completely possible with those receivers. But there's definitely other holes on that roster. So I don't know. I, I think they can do it for sure. But I also don't think it's enough to to beat Josh Allen, to beat Patrick Mahomes, to win that division. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Those, those weapons, they, they'll be able to help them a little bit. And hopefully the Chiefs will be receiving some weapons in this offseason as well. But I, an offensive line does not fix all your problems. We saw that this year with Mahomes. We saw that this year with Clyde. There, there was so much going into the season about how Clyde was going to rush for a thousand yards and have a thousand yards receiving because we had this amazing offensive line. Like it's not necessarily a zero sum game where you're, you're just adding and it, no matter how much you add, it, it will always equate out towards the end where you're, you, you come out on top. That made, that made absolutely no sense, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like the offensive line can only add so much. A new wide receiver can add so much more. Yeah, for sure. It's, it, you know, it's a sum of the parts and Joe Burrow was very much along for the ride for the Super Bowl. He was resilient. He did some really good things and he made some big plays when he needed to, but also a lot of the reason why the Bengals were in the Super Bowl was not Joe Burrow. And that's okay. I mean, some of the Brady comparisons were just in the sense that he wasn't the key reason why his team was in the Super Bowl his first couple of years as a starter. But let's flip the script here a little bit. Do you think that the Rams are back in the Super Bowl anytime soon? Like, is this a repeat offender that we're going to see? Are they, you know, the beginning of a new dynasty, you think? Or are they just kind of one and done? 
I'll say that they will probably compete in the NFC, but they're losing a couple of key pieces this offseason. And, you know, they brought in Odell Beckham Jr. He's going to be out for most of the year. Vaughn Miller has expressed that he's going to test free agency because he's looking for that, that big contract. And their safety they brought in that was actually wearing the green dot in the uh, in the Super Bowl, Weddle, he is probably not going to come back either. I think he said he was going into retirement. Yeah, I mean, when with the Rams, I mean, they could be down. Now, I don't really understand. I, I get it. But it just seems like the new thing is to threaten retirement or talk about retirement and not do it. It's the new, like, way to get NFL attention. But Andrew Whitworth has absolutely earned retirement. He's one of the oldest players in the NFL. They're a left tackle. I would assume that he's retiring. Aaron Donald was talking about potentially retiring. They even talked about him right at, talked about it with him right after the game, which I thought was kind of uh, kind of harsh. And then, yes, Eric Weddle will probably go back into retirement, um, you know, OBJ is a free agent and also injured. I mean, yeah, you're talking about losing your left tackle, potentially, very potentially losing the best defensive player in the NFL, losing a safety. Now they do have some other safeties on the roster. Weddle was brought in for injury. Beckham, now they'll get Robert Woods back. But I mean, yeah, there's. it's kind of hard to see a situation that the Rams just get right back there. Uh, for me, I'm thinking... I'm thinking that the Rams are definitely a perennial playoff team and maybe we do see them back, but I do not expect it to be, you know, three or four NFC championships in a row. I think that I, I do think that the powers will shift a little bit in the NFC. And I think this is me saying that I think Aaron Rodgers stays with the Packers. You know, I think that they're still a force to be reckoned with. And I think that the Bucks will potentially make some play at quarterback. That's a good roster that knows how to win that they could, you know, I don't think that they're going to be what they were with Brady, but I think they could still be a good team. Well, and just outlook wise, would you rather be the Rams going into the season or the 49ers? Like I think there's an argument to be made that the 49ers are maybe in a better position to win the NFC than the Rams are at this point. It's all, it's all on what you depend or what you think of Trey Lance, right? You know, yeah. Is Trey Lance closer to an elite quarterback or is he a game manager? You know, that's the Rams are, or the 49ers are definitely in an interesting uh, position, which takes us to our next topic. Looking at the Super Bowl odds for the next year, this always interests me just reading what teams are favored to win the Super Bowl. Your Kansas City Chiefs open up as tied for Super Bowl favorites with the Buffalo Bills. They are the favorites. Next up are the Rams. 49ers are next so that tells you a little bit of it. the markets always really love the 49ers I don't know if it's just the west coast bias or what but they love the 49ers um got the Packers who are next Cowboys Bengals Bengals are ahead of the Ravens the Ravens are just after that Titans which is a little sweet for me Chargers Broncos you got to figure there's some Aaron Rodgers factored in there Cardinals, Patriots, Bucks, and I'm not going to read the rest. But I, you know, I think that this just goes to show again, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven out of the top 11 Super Bowl odd teams are AFC teams. I mean, it, it's going to be a battle. And one thing that before we kind of start moving on to the Chiefs part of the podcast, we just have one thing that I think I, I'm seeing a lot of people do on Twitter lately is try to put the back, battery in backwards, re, rewrite the narrative based on what happened, right? You have to remember it's it's really hard to talk about 
the Chiefs blowing the game against the Bengals. But you can't forget that the Bills game happened as well. The Bills were a really good team, and that was a really good win that they had. And that was a great performance by Patrick Mahomes. And he, you know, you know, 13 seconds, Grim Reaper, all that stuff, that still exists. That still happened. And so did the three and four and the bad picks and all that. All of that is Patrick Mahomes. All of that is was that Chiefs team. And there's, you know, I I, I just hate seeing us take the last game as like, you know, and it's hard because it's recency bias, but taking the last game and saying, oh, this is exactly what it is. We talked about this with the third wide receiver option. You know, we spent all of our capital on offensive line because last thing we saw was Patrick Mahomes running for his life. When truth be told, you know, that wasn't the only thing that this team needed. And that's kind of how they treated the offseason for the most part. Yeah, and that recency bias, we're, we're going to see some of that going into this offseason as well. You will see us make a play at a, at a number two, a legit maybe could be number one wide receiver when I think that we could maybe get away with with Juju or Michael Gallup or somebody like that. But it'll definitely be an interesting offseason. We'll see how all that factors in as well. Yeah, real quick, I want to do a little head coach talk. I don't like spending a ton of time on head coach talk because – one, frankly, we'll never know how much these head coaches impact or don't impact teams. And, we'll, you know, we don't know these guys. You know, some of these people will sneak up on us and be great coaches. And then some of these that are labeled as, you know, the next big thing, um, they, you know, they could flop. What was, um, we'll get to Eric Bienemy here in a second, but what was your favorite head coaching hire of the offseason? Honestly, it was, it was probably Josh McDaniels to the Raiders, right? Or not Josh McDaniels, Doug Peterson, my bad. Josh McDaniels was my least favorite hire. Uh, Doug Peterson to the Jags, it just seems like a fit, doesn't it? Like they're a team looking for direction. They've got a brand new quarterback that that could use a little bit of that Dougie P magic. And they could maybe actually win more than two games this year. And that, that would be really, really, really cool for them. Other than that, though, I there weren't really any coaching hires that really leapt out to me maybe Brian Dabble to, to the Giants maybe but there really weren't that many that kind of stunned me I, I agree with you about the Doug Peterson hire that seemed that really seemed like the adult that they needed in the room after the situation that they had before I love that he's a former quarterback you know he was a part of what made Carson Wentz into a good player um, and some of the hires that he's made for that staff already I think are you know, he's, he's building a really good staff. And I, and I think that that's going to give Trevor Lawrence the best chance to succeed. And I would not be surprised to see them make a pretty big offseason addition. You know, I don't, I don't think that they're going out and signing Devonte Adams, but I could see them be in play for some of these bigger name weapons. And I think that they're going to start doing that and loading up on weapons for him. Um, you know, I'm going to go with, um, my, I'm going to go, you mentioned Brian Dable. And I think the Brian Dable hire is my favorite um, I think that this is kind of exactly what the Giants needed. I love them getting Kafka as the offensive coordinator. And my favorite thing about Brian Dable is that he's already come out and said that he's not going to call plays, which I really like that because I believe that Brian Dable, who is a good offensive mind, who's a big part of, you know, expanding Josh Allen's success in the NFL. I think that he can still be a part of the game planning and the game scheme and help Kafka develop a great offensive plan but he can focus on in-game management. And I think, you know, some offensive minds who call the plays, sometimes they get caught up in that. Sean McVay has some questionable game management. Andy Reid has some questionable game management. That allows Dable to still be in the game. 
and, you know, keep an eye on the little things like the challenges, the timeouts, the clock management. And I also think that they have, um, <laughs> this is where Daniel Jones MVP talk starts up again. This is, um, you know, there, there's some really good, there's some really good weapons here. Um, and, you know, I think that they've got a nice little trial run here with Daniel Jones. And I think he's in a good position because this is Daniel you know, Jones's year to prove if he sucks or not. If he sucks, they don't exercise the fifth year option on him. He's gone. And then they can restart. Right. And then Dable can kind of find his next guy. So that was my favorite. I do think the Doug Peterson one was good. Um, you know, there were some, there were some bad hires. Uh, I'm going to ignore the Lovey Smith hiring because if, if this coaching cycle has taught me anything, including the uh, Brian Flores story, it's that teams do tank, maybe not officially, but there are some teams that I feel like more or less tanked their head coaching hire, like um, the hiring of Dennis Allen by the Saints and Lovey Smith. I mean, those are teams that just seem like, ah, whatever, we'll just give them some cheap contract and pocket the money. And when we're ready to hire our next guy, we will. So um, my least favorite was Matt Eberflus, actually. Um, I was really expecting something good from Matt Ryan Poles. And, you know, I think Matt Eberflus will be a fine head coach. But for going back to all the reasons why the Dayball hiring is good for Daniel Jones is why the Matt Eberflus hiring doesn't make sense for Justin Fields. That team is devoid of offensive talent with Allen Robinson being a free agent. I mean, you've got... You know, Montgomery, the back, that's really about it. Darnell Mooney was decent at wide receiver, but that team needs a huge influx of talent. It needs a huge influx of scheme to make Justin Fields be the best he can be. And oh, by the way, now they're short on picks from, from the moves that they made to get Justin Fields. So, and then they bring in this defensive guy. I, I, it just felt a little bit knee-jerk to the Matt Nagy thing. Like, you know, we, we don't want to hire the next Matt Nagy. And I don't know, to me, that one just, it, it seems like we're going to be sitting here in two years talking about Matt Eberflus being fired and wondering if Justin Fields could ever get some good scheme to help him. That will probably definitely be one of the, the biggest offseason things that we talk about in the near future. I didn't hear that about Brian Dayball though, that, that he said that he wasn't going to call the plays. And that intrigues me a lot because as much as I love Big Red, Andy Reid does get caught up in calling plays. Whoever tells you that he doesn't, either doesn't know football or is lying to you. There, there are plays and there are times, the end of the first half against the Bengals in the playoffs, that was Andy Reid getting in the way of Andy Reid. There are times when being the head coach is about rallying players and not necessarily about calling plays. And if he did say that, I, I didn't see anything about that, but if he did say that, that is, it, it's humbling. And it's, it's also really, really cool to see the giants have a head coach that they can actually maybe respect even just a little bit, even if it's just for this first couple of years, Josh Allen or not Josh Allen, uh, their quarterback will not be an MVP. I just want to let you know right now, before we, before we get into that, he's not Josh Allen. Okay, well, we can we can pen table these talks for later. Um, let's get into the Eric Bieniemy drama first. Let's talk about him as a head coach. Um, I'm just going to say it and then be done with it because, frankly, I'm tired of talking and reading about it. Eric Bieniemy is currently not a good head coaching candidate. 
I don't know what else we need to see. Curtis Siebel at 810 put out this stat. So I am citing the stat from him. There have been 29 head coaching opportunities from 22 teams since Eric Bieniemy completed the 2018 season with the Chiefs where Patrick Mahomes won MVP. He has received zero of those jobs. 22 teams, 29 opportunities. So two, so, uh, seven teams passed over him twice. Ryan Poles, a GM from his organization, didn't interview him and went somewhere else. Eric Bieniemy, it's just not what teams want as a head coach. It is not because of his skin color. It's not because he doesn't call plays. There is something there. I am quoting Benjamin Albright, which you can take this from what he is. I think that Albright reads his mentions too much and is kind of a clown on Twitter. But also, I do believe his sources in Colorado. He does like he, you know, he does radio there. He podcasts there. He's worked in Denver for a while. According to him, Eric Bieniemy has 12 arrests on his record since his times playing back in college since then. Maybe that's not one of the people who should have one of the most prestigious 32 jobs in the NFL. And maybe there's more to that story. Maybe there's more to how he handles himself with the Chiefs. We will never know. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Eric Bieniemy could or could not be a good head coach. I think he has many qualifications that would make him a good head coach. But I don't know that. I think that oh, I think ahead. that I, I just think that the discussion that there's no stone to overturn that hasn't been overturned on Eric Bieniemy. To me, one of the things that stands out the most is that he was a running backs coach. He's never coached the quarterback position. Eric Bieniemy is not the guy that you bring in to help turn Justin Fields around or Trevor Lawrence. He's a good offensive mind, and I'm sure he is a part. I mean, we cannot sit here and sing the praises of Patrick Mahomes over and over again, and then act like Eric Bietamie had nothing to do with it. I'm sure he did. Now, how much? We'll never know. But at this time, man, I, as far as Eric Bietamie becoming a head coach, the only thing he can do in my mind to help him become a head coach in the NFL is to jump down to college and do it there or to be go become the OC of a team that doesn't have a, a head coach calling plays and do it with someone else. To me, those are the only things left for him to do. Yeah, and, and I'll kind of echo what you're saying here, but maybe add a little bit more. Eric Bieniemy on paper looks like he would be the best head coach, right? Like he inspires the players. I'm sure that he's good with clock management. If Andy Reid's not calling the timeouts, Eric Bieniemy is right there helping him figure everything out. It's obviously it's it's obvious that he has a good relationship with his players. And he has to have impressed Andy with something to get to the offensive coordinator position. With that being said, there are obviously things that we do not know about Eric Bieniemy. We don't know how these interviews have gone outside of, oh, he had a, he interviewed really well, or he interviewed bad. There are a million questions that they will ask you. They, they've had eight, six, 10 hour interviews. There is something underneath the surface here that we do not know that we will never know as to why he has not received a head coaching position. These are some of the smartest, wealthiest player or uh, owners in, in all of sports. They make bad decisions sometimes, but overall, I think it's safe to say that owners, general managers want to win football games. 
and they do not believe that Eric Bieniemy can win them football games. Now, I 100% agree with you. Going down to the college level, finding a head coaching position there might be the best thing for Eric Bieniemy at this point. Other than that, I don't know what you do. I don't think he comes back to KC, and I don't think that I think that that bridge not necessarily has been burnt, but it's kind of like a a mutual departure. Like, hey, listen, it was really nice while you were here. The offense was incredible. By the way, we also had Patrick Mahomes for your entire tenure. But it's it's been it's been fun. We had good times. I think it's time that we both head our separate ways. We'll move on. You move on. And I think that that kind of amicable split is perfect for both parties. I think that Eric Bieniemy gets the head coaching job of maybe not an NFL team, but a college team and the chiefs get an offensive coordinator that can maybe help manage Andy Reed a little bit better than Eric Bieniemy has in, in years past. I agree. And I mean, let's just go on to the next step. Should Eric Bieniemy be back as the offensive coordinator? Um, honestly, here's the thing. There's certainly enough reason to say that he should be back. It's never been a bad offense. There have certainly been offensive coordinators who dream of coordinating a scheme and a team as well as he has as his time in Kansas City. But I also believe that the there is some growing frustration from players with Eric Bieniemy. It's not the first time that we've seen him get into it with players on the sideline. And also, I, this was pointed out to me, Patrick Mahomes has never come out and just fully endorsed Eric Bieniemy. When asked about him directly, like in a press conference, and someone says, Patrick, how good would it be to see in, uh, Eric Bieniemy get a chance as a head coach? Of course, he's going to say something nice. He's not going to say, oh, he sucks. I hope he doesn't get it. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes has never come to his defense publicly or on social media unwarranted like we've seen other players do. I now who knows we you know we'll never know he might love Eric Bieniemy but I I feel like Kafka was probably his guy and I think Mahomes might be frustrated that they let Kafka walk out the door we know that he spent a lot of time with him developing whenever he was with Alex Smith and that guy walked out the door and now it looks like Eric Bieniemy has a pretty good shot of walking out the door um and you know I I, I think that the offense could use some change. Now this ultimately comes back to Andy Reed. It doesn't matter who they bring back or who comes in as offensive coordinator. They could have freaking, you know, they could have Sean McVay as their offensive coordinator and Andy Reed, the head coach. If Andy's not going to let them influence the offense, call plays and help change their scheme, it won't matter. This is all about Andy changing. And he has to be able to do that. If he's willing to change, then yes, I definitely think there's a good reason to bring someone in as offensive coordinator other than Eric Bieniemy because I think that the offense does need some changing. But if they're not going, if he's not going to do that, then then there's no point in messing with it. Bring Eb back because at least he brings consistency. Clearly, some of the players like him, and he's familiar. You know, like they're already going to be replacing the quarterbacks coach, which who knows at this point how much quarterback coaching Mahomes actually needs. But there's already going to be turnover on the roster and in the coaching staff. You know, we know that Matt um, Matt House is going to LSU to be the defensive coordinator. We saw that they hired the defensive line co- uh, defensive coordinator from um, Jacksonville. So there's you know there's already some change. It all comes back to Andy. Um, I wanted to read this. This comes from Albert Breer 
um, on the Monday afternoon quarterback column that he writes for Sports Illustrated. Albert Breer, I'll point out, was one of the first people to be on the Marcus Peters is getting traded train besides Jason Lockenfora, surprisingly, who also Jason Lockenfora was like the first person to report Tom Brady was retiring. He did it on like Saturday and the news broke that Sunday of the championship games. Um, So this is from Albert Breer and I read. And especially so with the availability of Matt Nagy as a potential replacement. Among those in Kansas City's organization, Nagy's long been looked at as a prospective successor to Andy Reid, in part because of his close relationship with GM Brett Veach. So if Biennemi wants to pursue an expanded role elsewhere, the idea of getting Nagy back in the building now would probably have some appeal to the organization. So, you know, enter Matt Nagy, you know, it makes all the sense in the world that he would come back as offensive coordinator. I, I know Bears fans who are some of the more ridiculous fans on uh, social media in general would cringe at the idea of having Matt Nagy back. But I, I don't think that Matt Nagy is an idiot. I think that the Bears are not a very well-run organization. I think that Mitch Trubisky was not a very good quarterback. I think that they were a team built around defense early and put a lot of investments on defense and had an aging roster without a lot of weapons. And I think, you know, he made Mitch Trubisky look pretty good for a season. And I also like the idea of bringing someone in who has head coaching experience to be the offensive coordinator, because then you have another set of eyes on the game plan. You have another set of eyes for someone in game, you know, that maybe says like, hey, Andy, let's just take the three here instead of trying to get one more point to go up 28-3 or whatever it was, or 28-10 yeah, or whatever it was in the AFC championship game. You know, I, I don't hate that idea. And I also... This is way down the road, but I also don't hate the idea of Matt Nagy being the next head coach. I would much rather that than them do Eric Bieniemy. Well, so let's go back just a little bit. Eric Bieniemy, why would would you bring him back? I think the only reason that you would bring him back at this point is for stability, right? You you kind of mentioned it there. If Patrick Mahomes says I want EB back, you bring EB back. If if the offensive line, Travis Kelsey and and Tyreek Hill say, we don't want Nagy, we want EB. I think you bring EB back. Now, Nagy coming in is a, is a very interesting idea. And, and you brought that article up. It's hard for me to see Matt Nagy as a legitimate placement for Andy Reid, not necessarily just because of how good Andy Reid is. And he, he's just an all-time great coach. But Matt Nagy also was not great as the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Now, he didn't have Alex Smith and Andy Reid as the head coach. He didn't have some of those people to lean on that were, you know, really high IQ football minds. He, he didn't have that, um, or he did that to a lesser extent there in, in Chicago. But having him come back, though, and sit behind Andy Reid and, and have Patrick Mahomes there as, as a legitimate quarterback option that you don't really have to develop all that much. You're just tweaking things here and there with Mahomes at this point. Having him come back and and have some stability of his own, and and it, it's a familiar system. He's he's gonna be back. He's gonna have his mind in the right spot. I think that maybe he could evolve into a head coach, a, a legitimate head coach, if he had that stability back. Now, will the Chiefs end up doing that? We we really have no idea, but. I think at this point it, it might be safe to say that EB is is not going to be back on the roster. There's been no official, oh, don't worry, EB will be back. In, in fact, I think the Kansas City Chiefs put out uh, a statement that said we have not officially made a decision on our 
offensive coordinator for this upcoming season. So this is going to heat up. I think it's going to heat up really, really fast. And it'll be interesting to see. Personally, Nagy coming back, great. Do it. Bring him in the building. But maybe let's not anoint him the successor to Andy Reid just yet. Pump the brakes a little bit. We, we don't even necessarily know if he's a great head coach or not. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that obviously we're never going to know that until he does it again. Um, I, I'm sure he will look a lot better with better ownership and better management. And I also think he got turned into a villain a little bit by a, a pretty brutal media market. Chicago, you know, obviously the, one, the third biggest city in the country. Um, think, I think things would be a lot different in Kansas City. And I also think there's something to second chance head coaches. Bill Belichick got fired, right? Bruce Arians got fired. There's, there's a lot of players or a lot of coaches that end up winning Super Bowls that are on their second team. So I, not that I think that, you know, this guarantees anything, but there are going to be people who, if and we're talking, talking very hypotheticals, that if Matt Nagy is the heir apparent, people will laugh and point and joke. But I, I don't think that that's warranted. I, I don't really think that it is. I mean, the man made the soup, made, uh, you know, two playoffs out of the three years that he was a head coach. I mean, he did some really pretty good things with some not very good offensive t- players. So I, I don't see the outrage over it, but it'll definitely be interesting to see. And yeah, you're right. You know, Adam Chef. Well, I thought it was really interesting. Whenever we found out that the Saints' job was filled, um, Scheffner and Rappaport and all those guys tweeted out the phrase "Eric Bieniemy is now a coaching free agent," which we can assume came directly from Eric Bieniemy's agent. And then on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. Schefter tweeted out something that said the Chiefs are going to meet this week with Eric Bieniemy to decide his future with the team. None of that was ringing endorsement or felt like the the likelihood of him coming back was super strong. So it'll definitely be interesting. Let's get more to the on-field stuff that's a little bit more tangible. There's a couple of Twitter discourse that I wanted to get on. Um, Carrington Harrison, who does the afternoon show for 610 here in KC, he put out a hypothetical that a lot of people really were um, really just were super mad about. And frankly, I don't understand it. This hypothetical trade, if you could do it right now, straight up, create Humphrey for T Higgins. Do you make this trade? I think if you're looking at the chiefs roster as it is right now with the free agents that we have and the, and the people we have on our roster right now, I think you make the trade, but I think that in a vacuum, Creed Humphrey or treat T Higgins, I think you take Creed. And I think you do that because Creed is, I don't want to say a transcendent player at the center position, but it's one of the most important positions on the field, especially on the offense. You're, you're looking at blitzes, you're, you're dialing up protection, you're sling, swinging people over there. There is some nuance to the position that is not necessarily there with wide receiver. With that being said, I think if you took Creed off this roster and put T. Higgins on it, it wouldn't have been close in in the uh, AFC championship game. I think that a reliable third weapon for Patrick Mahomes is one of the only things left to add to the offense outside of a running back who can stay healthy for more than four or five games. Now, there was a lot of backlash, especially in the Arrowhead Live ver- or Arrowhead live versed, if you could call it that, of Twitter. Uh, but I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. T. Higgins, you taking him or, or are you keeping Creed? Well, I think I think kind of like uh, 
one of the, I'm going to use a term and I don't mean it the way that most people who say it on social media do, but I feel like it's a very woke thing to be like, Oh, the offensive line is just, it's so important. You, you cannot, you cannot underestimate how valuable it has to is to have a franchise center. The chiefs have had amazing center play throughout their history recently. Tim Grunhart was an all, uh, you know, was a pro bowler, great center for the chiefs, Rodney Hudson, great center for the chiefs, Mitch Morris, great center. Like they've had some great centers and you know what it did for them? Absolutely nothing. They won the super bowl with Austin bleeping writer. Okay. Here's the thing. Creed Humphrey is probably one of the two or three best players at his position in the NFL. There are also only 32 players who play his position in the NFL and probably about five to 10 of them that are actually pretty good, that their jobs are safe and they're the long-term answer. A center at times doesn't even block anyone. Sometimes they just snap the ball and they stand there. Now they do make calls and sometimes they just stand there and, you know, look for someone coming up the A gap. There's times that they don't even have their hands on someone. You can make an argument that a guard could potentially be more valuable than a center in some ways. Now, I think that the the calling on the field and stuff matters. But man, like you tell me, what was your favorite Creed Humphrey moment of the season? Was it when he blocked someone? Was it when he, you know, called out that blitz really well? Or was it when he snapped really well? I mean, like, you know, here's the thing. I believe that Creed Humphrey is super valuable and I'm glad that the Chiefs have him. And it was a good draft pick. I, I definitely am totally okay with saying that. But also like T. Higgins absolutely changes how this offense rolls. And how much better is Creed Humphrey than the next guy? You know, how much? I can tell you what, T. Higgins is a huge jump from Byron Pringle. And also remember, you don't remove Byron Pringle off this team or McCole Hardman. You bump them down a slot. McCole Hardman's now your fourth or fifth weapon. Byron Pringle is now your fifth or sixth. So, yes, the only reason why to not make this trade is because you lose a year of control, right? T. Higgins is, you know, a, a year f- further. You know, he was drafted right after Clyde Edwards-Helaire, so he's older. And um, but yeah, I mean, two thousand yard seasons for T. Higgins, you know that that's huge, and it would be a great addition to the Chiefs. Do I think that create again? I think you, the way you put it in a vacuum, yes, it makes sense that. Creed Humphrey is the better player per his position. But what we're talking about is positional value. What positions matter more? Very rarely do you hear like, oh man, I'm going with the Chargers because Corey Lindsley is a matchup problem. People just don't say that because at the end of the day, you can have a great center and it does nothing for you. And you can have a terrific wide receiver that turns a bad quarterback into a good quarterback. Yeah, well, I mean, you talked about a positional value. You want a wide receiver? Do you want a center? Well, the center will have help with one of the guards on either one of his sides almost every single play. The wide receiver is one-on-two or one-on-one every single play of the game. It's not two-on-one. It's not there's there's somebody lined up in the A-gap, and we we need to – me and Trey need to bulldoze him over. It's me versus Jalen Ramsey. It's me versus Marlon Humphrey. It's – don't act like T Higgins also wasn't the number one option on his team last year. Like this is a guy that can come in, make a complete difference to the offense and Creed at, while he has played very, very well. How many times did we notice him over Austin Ryder this year? And not, not just talking highlights, not just talking um, goal line stands, all of it encapsulated all, but what was the biggest difference? He got more push on the offensive line. 
in short yardage situations. How many times do we run the ball in short yardage situations? Almost never. Before the end of the half, it was what, third in a yard, fourth in a yard to, to get seven or to get six instead of three. And we threw the ball anyway. To, to me, this is just not even a, a question. If you understand football, you understand positional value. And this should not have been, it, it shouldn't have gone down as it did on Twitter. There are way too many bleeding hearts on Twitter for, for Creed. Yeah. And, and, you know, I agree. I agree with all that. Um, this one I tweeted out a couple of days ago and first off, I want to make it clear. I am not quote unquote reporting on this. I'm not saying, Oh, I've got sources or anything like that. The place that I came from with this was one that the logic makes sense. And the other place that I came from this is, uh, Jeffrey Chidia, who works for NFL Network, Eric Eager, who works for PFF, and, um, you know, obviously the Chiefs are subscribers to PFF, and he talks with people in front offices. That's literally part of his job is talking with people in front offices and Soren Petro over at A10. Um, all of them have access to Chiefs players, people in the front office of the Chiefs. They all stated that they had heard some rumblings that the potential of trading Tyree Kill does exist. Now, here's the thing. The potential of something happening, there's a 1% chance. There's a 1% chance that I, you know, sprout wings and start flying. Not much, but it, there's there's chance, right? I don't think that it would be likely or imminent that the Chiefs trade Tyree Kill. But if you start doing the math and start thinking about it a little bit. I do not think that Tyree Kill is going to take a hometown discount. I do not think that Tyree Kill is going to even be cheap. I think that he is going to try to wait for wait for Devontae Adams to sign and try to top his deal or try to get right next to what Devontae Adams got. All of that being said, it makes some sense. Now, here's the thing. The only way that it makes sense is if you're getting a first-round pick or more back, and then you're also getting salary cap relief to add another wide receiver or two. You know, if we're trading Tyreek Hill, but we're able to bring in Chris Godwin, get, a, you know, a top 15 pick in the NFL draft, and maybe sign someone else too, you know, if it's Chris Godwin and Juju or something like that, it starts to make some sense. All this to say, it's probably a 5% chance that it happens. He's, you know, a top five wide receiver in the league. And it would be kind of crazy to do. But also, it's not entirely impossible. And it's not outside of the realm of possibility. So that's that's what I think. And, you know, I didn't just, like, dream this up and say that they should do it. But it's possible. Well, yeah, if, if I'm the Chiefs and you offer to give me four first-round draft picks, hell, I'll trade you anybody outside of Mahomes. You want Chris Jones? Hell, yeah, trade him. You want... You want Travis Kelsey? Yeah, trade him. The only thing is that Tyreek Hill is a one-of-one. One. And you, you talk about the amount of money he is going to command. I've, I've seen a couple of different figures. For Devontae Adams, I saw four-year $93 million uh, over the course of, of the, the contract. So four-year $93 million. For Tyreek, I've seen anywhere from four-year 75 to four-year 85. Now, that, that is pretty close. It's about 20 mil per. That's a cap hit. 
there's no way to get around it. That's that's going to eat into the cap. With that being said, who can you get to replace Tyreek Hill and what he does for the Chiefs offense? I, I don't think that there is anybody that we tried to we tried to replicate that with McCall Hardman in that draft. And you saw how it went. Just I don't want to say we wasted the pick, but our wide receiver depth this year might be an indication of how well that that went down. Tyreek Hill being on the field does things for you that that nobody else in the league can. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care what technique you use. Tyreek Hill is a one of one. And I don't think that that the Chiefs would would trade him for anything less than maybe a first and a second. And you know what? The money makes sense. I, I, I understand where you're coming from from that perspective. But just to me, I think you're losing, you're, you're betting on the future rather than right now. And we know what Tyreek Hill is right now. And we can keep him on the roster right now. We don't know what the draft picks are going to be. We don't know how Juju will fit into the offense. We don't know how Chris Godwin could, could effectively come in and, and what he could do. We do know what Tyreek Hill can do. And it's incredible. So to, to me, it would be, unless you're calling with two firsts, don't, don't pick up the phone. Yeah, but what if they do? I mean, you know, you, you brought the point that everyone has a price, right? And um, I, here's the thing. Again, like, if they're going to get a big haul for it, you have to consider it. Tyreek Hill's, limp, like, what Tyreek Hill does, you're right, it is one of one. But also, what he does is, something, is the first thing to deteriorate in players, is speed. Now, I think when he slows down, he'll still be like, what, the third, fourth fastest player in the NFL? But, you know, we saw that throw that ended the AFC championship where Patrick Mahomes threw that pick. There's plenty of wide receivers that go up and are able to get that ball, you know. And I'm not, again, Tyree Kill's a great wide receiver, and he's a great talent and all that. But there are other things that can exist in an offense and still be okay. Mike Evans gets that ball. Mike Williams gets that ball. Other players get that ball and go up and grab it. And that's just not who Tyreek Hill is. No, but you know, you, obviously, you, obviously you, you would parts like parts of that though. Right. Like the only complete wide receiver ever was like Megatron where he's like six, five can run a four, two and has almost perfect route technique. Like, I think you give up a little bit of that with every player except for him. Well, here's what I'll say. Teams really value the field stretcher, right? Like we hear that all the time. There are guys who can be signed, who can do that and still require safety help over the top that, you know, I hate saying this because this isn't what it is, but run glorified go routes all the time. There's guys who can do that for way less and, you know, not, not be as big of an asset as far as the offense goes, but also can still take the top off the offense as they like to say, I think that, you know, the Tyreek Hill directional speed, the thing where he gets the ball underneath and just like gets eight yards every time that's, that's where the true value is. But Mahomes average depth of target and air yards per attempt. And all those things have just dramatically dropped every season since the first year, Tyreek Hill's best skill set is it can be taken away by teams. We've seen that. We've seen Bill Belichick just eliminate Terry Kill. Terry Kill was just eliminated in that second half of the Bengals game. It happens that Terry Kill is reversed or erased. Travis Kelsey is not that way. If this team can no longer pass the ball down the field that much, 
because of what team, how teams play them with, you know, eight men dropping back is Tyreek Hill worth making the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL for a team that has the highest paid quarterback, a really expensive defensive tackle, probably one of the pop top paid tight ends in football, a left tackle. That's going to be commanding top of the market. I mean, like, you know, we talk about the salary cap, not being real. This is, or the salary cap being real. This is, this is part of it. And I agree with you to an extent with that being said, I don't think that Tyree kill was taken away in the second half of that game. Well, I don't think he was taken away because they were playing a certain way. I think it was because Andy Reid was using Tyreek Hill in a certain way because we don't have that wide receiver depth. Like, who are we going to have go out there and play Tyreek Hill's position? It can't be McCall Hardman. He, he just can't do what Tyreek Hill does. And when Tyreek is basically the only other guy outside of Pringle that can effectively run the X position, he's going to be taken away. X playing the exposition on offense as a wide receiver, most of the time you're a diversion. The only reason Tyreek Hill is incredible at it is because he can get hit on those deep routes that are pulling safeties and pulling guys out of the way. If Tyreek Hill was to run some underneath stuff and be used like McCole Hardman was, where you're, I don't want to say manufacturing yards, but you're throwing it to him underneath, you're using him on wide receiver screens, you've got him running across the field. I think that Tyreek Hill maybe goes for 200 in that game. The, the whole problem is we didn't have the depth to, to effectively use him how he's supposed to be used. And I think that you give that up with every player. Well, look at T Higgins, look at OBJ. You couldn't have them do what Tyreek Hill does with speed, but you put them at the X position and they'll burn teams nine times out of 10. Like that, that's just the way that it goes sometimes, but the money will definitely be a problem. I, I'll, I'll agree with you that you can't just kick the can down the road and expect it never to, to come up. The Rams are, are a prime example of that. We talked about them earlier. The odds that they get back to the Super Bowl in five years from now or even being in contention is not great. Probably because I don't think they even have a first-round pick uh, until 2027. So it would be nice to have that extra cap room to, to be able to maneuver lately. But guys like Joe, Joe Tooney, you can cut those guys after a while. If, if you feel like they're not contributing as much as their contract, Frank Clark, you can cut, you can get rid of them. Anthony Hitchens, you can get rid of them. Tyron Matthew, you can let him walk. There's plenty of cap flexibility in our future where we can take a chance. If you even really want to call it that on, on Tyree kill. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if it does happen. Um, last thing we're going to do today, we did a little bit of homework here. We picked three realistic down-to-earth free agents that we feel like would be great additions for the Chiefs. Um, obviously, we're factoring in salary cap. Um, we're not going to go down the road of, you know, they do this to cut this player, this, that. Just three kind of realistic players that you think that would be great ads for the Chiefs. Obviously, the Chiefs are going to sign more than three free agents. Um, you know, there's a lot more cheaper players that will be added that are kind of smaller signings. But these are kind of, you know, your three big names. And who knows, the Chiefs might put all their chips in one basket and just kind of get one big name. Um, or they might go after a couple. Um, you want to go one at a time here, Christian? You give and then I give one? Yeah, sure. And my first one is is kind of going to be a split because they, they do almost the exact same thing. They play the exact same position and they're about the same age. So you, you have Vaughn Miller and Chandler Jones. Vaughn Miller said he's going to test free agency. Chandler Jones is not happy in Arizona. 
These are two guys that are going into free agency that are going to cost about the same amount of money that could come in and provide a pass rush for you. Now, how much money they they are going to cost us, that could be anywhere from $7 million to $12 million. You know, you, you know, we don't really know how, how all that's going to work out, but those are two realistic guys that can come in, provide some pressure where we haven't gotten it in years past, and help out Chris Jones in the middle of the, the, the offense or defensive line. Excuse me. Yeah, the Von Miller to Kansas City just feels inevitable. I mean, it, it's one of those that sometimes you see so much smoke around a player going to a certain team that you almost expect it to happen, and then it doesn't happen. You're like, what the heck? We didn't get Von Miller? I thought he was ours. Um, my first one is one that will probably be a little bit off the radar. Uh, it's Buccaneer safety Jordan Whitehead. Um, I think that the Chiefs could potentially need three safeties this year. I don't think that Tyron Matthews back. I would like to get Daniel Sorensen off this team and off the field. And then, um, you know, not a big deal, but, oh, shoot, what's the other safety that they had? Why is, my, why is his name escaping me? Uh, the Bucks? No, the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs. Tyron Matthew? No, not, Tyron Matthew will be gone. We want Daniel Sorensen. Daniel Sorensen? Uh, their third safety that's not one Thornhill. It'll come to me in a second. Armani, Armani Watts. Yes, Armani Watts is also okay. a free agent as well. Um, okay. You know, so the Chiefs really need three safeties, um, in my opinion. If you're replacing Tyron Matthew, you're trying to get Dan Swanton off this field. And honestly, they could probably use a fourth, considering that Juan Thornhill's in the last year of his rookie deal. Um, so Jordan Whitehead is one of the safeties from the Bucks. Um, he plays more in the box. So that fills that Dan Sorensen really well. He's not particularly any, you know, compliments Juan Thornhill nicely that, you know, Thornhill still plays the deep free safety. Um, and also when I think, when I think about what Brett Veach likes to go after, after a free agency, he signs younger guys. He does not go after the over 30, uh, free agent very often. Jordan Whitehead's 25, uh, PFF has his estimated contract at three years, 20 million. That sounds pretty reasonable for what the Chiefs need. Bring some kind of just long-term consistency to that position. And, you know, honestly, it's probably going to give you a good chunk of what Tyron Matthew did as far as in the box goes. He's not the chess piece that Matthew is as far as being able to cover deep and then, you know, do the slot and play in the box. But I do think that they're um, it would be a very kind of Brett Veach-like signing. And I also think this kind of um, – looking forward a little bit, but I also think that adding Jordan Whitehead could lead to Juan Thornhill or not Juan Thornhill, uh, Legereus Sneed, maybe transitioning to safety as well, because they really play like three safeties quite a lot. So I think that that would be a good answer for the safety position. Well, yeah. And it would be super cool to see Sneed come in and play that Kendall Fuller role that he played during that Super Bowl run where you're kind of a corner, but not really. You're also kind of a safety. Oh, but you play, slot corner like kind of taking over that Tyron Matthew role if you could call it that in in the defense so that that would be really cool to see as well um for me my second one I'm gonna go with edge again I just really think this is a good time to need an edge this is a good offseason plenty of depth here we're gonna go with an old friend Emmanuel Logba he came in he what did he play 10 games for the Chiefs had about six sacks in those 10 games and that's just a guy coming in just learning the scheme just trying to fit in. And he would play very, very well for us. Unfortunately, he went to Miami, but I think there's a reunion coming. I think that you can get him for about 10 mil per. So it's not a huge cap hit. 
and he's almost been a double-digit sack guy for the past two years. I think he's had nine in both of them. So you have him come in that takes some pressure off of Chris Jones. And if we could get Von Miller or Chandler Jones as well, that would be incredible. But Emmanuel Ogba, he kind of knows what he's getting into. He knows the locker room. He can come in, make a difference, and, and really help out the defense. You definitely took one of mine um with Emmanuel Ogba I mean we don't need to rehash it very much he just makes a lot of sense he's not going to break the bank the Chiefs need like three or four players on the defensive line and he's someone that's familiar with the system one thing that I like about him too him and Joshua Kando are almost the exact same prototype like athleticism their build they're both like 6'5 285 um good apprenticeship opportunities there for Kando with him so um Ogba makes a lot of sense um so I'll go and go with my third one. This one's, this one might be the most far-fetched. Um, you know, I, I do think that they could make it work with salary cap, but I am all in on bringing Chris Godwin to Kansas City. Chris Godwin plays outside. He is an X receiver. He would, he would feast in this offense. He is what Sammy Watkins was supposed to be, except healthy. He has a great catch radius. He is a great route runner. He would allow Tyreek Hill to play in the slot. He would punish teams who try to shade coverage to Travis Kelsey. He can play on either side of the field. And also, he provides great insurance if Ty- if this is Tyreek Hill's last year. Because, you know, Chris Godwin and Travis Kelsey, it doesn't feel like it would be with Tyreek Hill. But it certainly wouldn't be the worst offense in the NFL. I love the idea of bringing in Chris Godwin for a big deal long term. Um, you know, probably like, I don't know what. I'm trying to remember what PFF had him at, but it's probably, you know, four years, 90 million or something like that, or something a little bit less. The only drawback is he is recovering from a torn ACL. So, but he's doing a lot of that already on his own. So he would be brought in already in the recovery process. So I I really like that addition. Um, It gives the chiefs insurance for both Hill and Kelsey and answers the question that they've been looking for for a long time we know that they have been trying to address the third wide receiver. And I think that he best fits what they need. Um, You know, I don't think Juju is quite the player that Chris Godwin is. I know that his name has been thrown a lot. The Super Bowl changed my answer on this. I was all in on Odell Beckham, but after tearing his ACL, you know, could they bring him in and kind of stash him for the playoffs whenever he's healthy? Yeah, sure. Um, But, you know, I don't think – that that whole pers- that changed my perspective on this because OBJ was my choice, but Chris Godwin they could certainly make it work with the cap. Um, I think that you know if they go, sp- I, I don't think that this will happen because I think that they're going to make all their big moves on the defensive line. But it would be really nice to see them just full on do everything they can to keep this offense as the best offense in the NFL. Keep Patrick Mahomes happy, bring in a new offensive coordinator, get Matt Nagy in here, get Chris Godwin. This offense has got a great offensive line. Maybe, you know, get the, you know, run game going a little bit more. Maybe Clyde Edward Delaire stays healthy and let's get this offense back to being the best offense in the NFL. Because like I tweeted today, you could draft sign and trade for like six new players on defense starters in the unit would still probably be middle of the pack, maybe slightly above. Now, obviously, you know, if we trade for Aaron Donald and then Jalen Ramsey and then Jair Alexander, within reason, right? You know, we're still drafting late in the rounds and all those things. With all that being said, you can add one player to the offense and it takes it from a good to the best in the NFL. 
And I do believe that. So Chris Godwin is my dream. Yeah, dude, that's everybody's dream right now. Outside of Devontae Adams, Chris Godwin in this offense, I don't even want to think about it for too long because my heart will be broken when it possibly doesn't happen. So we'll, we'll just go on to my next pick. This is a guy that there was some buzz during the season um, this past year of us possibly trading for him before he got traded to the Panthers. And this is a guy that can come in and completely lift that defense, take some pressure off Snead. I'm talking about Stephon Gilmore, maybe the best cornerback in the league. Now, he, he's a little bit older. You'd only be able to sign him for a two-year deal. Talking maybe, I think Spot Track has him about $15 million, so it, it would be a cap hit. But having him come in and transforming that secondary. You're tired of Charvarius Ward getting mossed every play? That doesn't happen to Stephon. Are you tired of Fenton getting pushed out of the way by Jamar Chase? That doesn't happen with Gilmore. He's in position every time. Now, it would require us to sign some, some lower-tier safeties to kind of fill out the Tyron Matthew void, or, or maybe we bring Tyron Matthew back after some restructures as well. I think that if you add Stephon Gilmore to this defense, not only is it a position, he's, he's coming into a position where it's kind of a sum of all the parts, like a, a tick up on your number one, cornerback kind of their number two has a little bit easier and the number three has a little bit easier if Char if legerious need is your second best cornerback on your team you have one of the best secondaries in football so stefan gilmore coming in rounding out that cornerback group in a position we desperately need talent i think it's the perfect vote. Agreed. So I, you know, I think we've got some good topics here. Certainly the off season is going to bring us a lot of good topics. Um, you know, free, we're kind of in this little limbo state. The next piece of chiefs news we're really going to hear is just about the offensive coordinator. And then we're just about less than a month away from legal tampering beginning where teams can kind of start signing free agents. So that'll be exciting. We'll definitely do a podcast on that. Usually the Chiefs kind of have one or two big signings during that period. And then we kind of get some slower signings later in the, um, later in the off or later in that free agency period. So there's a lot to look forward to. We'll probably kind of stay on the every other week model as we get into the off season. And then, you know, as the NBA picks up a little bit here, the, obviously the James Harden trade was crazy, even though the 76ers are losing by like 60 to the, Celtics right now. Um, Harden's not going to play until the All-Star break, but after the All-Star break, we can start really uh, honing in on the NBA playoffs. Yeah, it, it'll be a really, really interesting offseason, especially with like how many moves the Chiefs have the potential to make. Like it's a, last offseason, there, there was a little bit of like hesitancy, like, oh, what what really can we do? And this offseason, it's like, dude, we could we could see seven or eight new starters on the defense, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. It is easily the most important offseason of the Patrick Mahomes era. There is a lot of turnover that needs to happen on this roster. There's a lot of change that needs to happen. There's a lot of players that are important that are free agents or on expiring contracts that need to be either rehashed or released. So, yeah, there's there's a lot there. But um, we appreciate you guys listening, as always, to the podcast. Um you can find me on Twitter at Price A. Carter. You can find Christian at CBreezy underscore edits. And this has been another edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.